Okay, we've been, um, if you've got your Bible, grab it open, grab it open at Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to read uh, a bit of highlights from the Old Testament, a bit of a highlight from the Old Testament. And then I want to wrap up our series, which has been called Money May. And um, sometimes when uh, pastors talk about money in church, what they're really just talking about is tithing and giving. Uh, and we do talk about tithing and giving. We teach about that prim- primarily, our primary point of teaching about uh, our views on tithing and giving. Uh, we teach in the DNA. A course, which surprisingly is happening on June 26th, right? So June 26th, you can be in the DNA course and you can hear what we believe about serving, tithing, giving, church attendance, uh, leadership, structure, all of that we cover in our DNA course. And I'd invite you to be part of that. If you haven't done DNA for a while, you might as well, you might as well go again, get brushed up. Two of the greatest teachers in the world, me and Alistair, charge through the details. Um, and it's, good, it's a good place to discuss and ask questions. Usually a group of between three and ten. I think the 10 has been our biggest, three's our sort of smallest. There was one time we did it just with one person, me, Alistair, and one person. Uh, it could have been a bit awkward, but it was Meg Beamish, so she managed it nicely. Uh, anyway, so um, the details are there. But uh, through Money May, I've not been wanting to talk about just tithing and giving. I'm wanting to talk about money. Because tithing and giving is the second thing. The first thing is how do we actually think about money? Um, I think most of the time I think I'm intelligent. Uh, and I think that can actually sometimes trip me up. Most of the time, you think you know stuff, right? But it's a, probably a safer assumption to assume you don't know. You, most of the time, we read the Bible and we're the good guys. When you read about David and Goliath, you always imagine yourself as David, right? But the actual, you don't get much out of the story if you're David. If you remember, if you think about yourself, that actually you're Saul. Most of the time, in the David and Goliath situations of your life, you're Saul, you're not the one who rises up without the ability and attacks the, the enemy. You're the one who doesn't rise up even though you have all the ability. Even though you're saved by Christ, even though you've been blessed with the Holy Spirit, you're the person, most of the time, you're Saul, you sit in the tent and cry. Amen? Can I get an amen? Is there any Christians in the building? Are we all dishonest, right? The reality is we hardly ever rise up in power and strength. We mostly shrink back in despair. Right? That, we're, that, but, but reality, that's why David's in the Bible, to remind us, hey, let's stop being like Saul. Let's be like David. We're mostly not like Gideon. We're mostly like some of his soldiers who went away scared. We're mostly like the people who aren't prepared. When we read about the parable of the, the, of the, of the, of the sower and the seed, we're not the good soil. You're not. You're not the good soil. If you read it and think, oh, I'm the good soil, well, that's okay. That's encouraging maybe. But the reality is, no, all of us are a hard pathway. We need to break up the hard things in our life. All of us have got weeds we need to pull out that distract us. Come on. Amen. When we think about what the Bible says about money, safest assumption is we don't think right. It's more likely that you think like everyone else in New Zealand about money rather than like the Bible. Because most of what you've learned about money is just New Zealand. Or, we're, or, or, or human understandings, if you're not from New Zealand, right? We've mostly learned human understandings about money, but when we read the Bible, it's not actually the same. What Jesus taught about money is very different to what you'll learn about money from sorted.org, right? Now, I'm not saying sorted.org is not awesome. It's some of those calculators I've found very helpful, right? You can't make those yourself quite so easily on Excel. It's a bit of a challenge, right? Um, but, but actually, Jesus said some different things about money, right? He said there's a faithful way and an unfaithful way to think about money. Jesus actually taught us that money and finance, are, are the, the key purpose for money and finance is making friends in heaven, not looking after ourselves here. But we spend the vast majority of our money looking after ourselves here rather than making friends in heaven, 
right? And Jesus said, we've got it all wrong. We're missing the point. So uh, we talked about mastering money. We talked about escaping debt. There's a simple reality about debt. It's easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt, right? So it's, it, the best thing to do is to not get into debt. And I, my premise, my thesis is that the foundation of all of our bad debts, our stupid debts, so not necessarily your mortgage, although your mortgage might be stupid. I don't know the details of your mortgage. But most of them, your family home, that's not usually a bad debt because you're borrowing appropriate amounts of money at reasonable rates uh, against an asset that's appreciating value. Now, some, you can get mortgages that aren't that, uh, but they can be done. Most of our dumb debts are based on one sin, the sin of covetousness. All of the marketing of consumer goods in the world is based on exciting and empowering covetousness, which is an earnest desire for something that doesn't belong to you. Right? If there wasn't for, if there was no such thing as covetousness, TVs would still be about the normal, about an appropriate size for a living room, Right? But now TVs are bigger than living rooms. Why? Because the next door neighbor got one that was bigger. Now you've got a TV that literally, you know, have to extend the house to fit the TV in, right? What about my favorite thing about TVs is the, the screens were curved and then they were flat and now they're curved the other way. Do you know the next thing's going to be flat and then it'll be curved back the other way and then they'll be flat and then they'll be curved, right? Because that's how covetous works. We've got to keep bringing out new products. And the timing of those products is designed not based upon the product life cycle, but upon a covetous life cycle within the market. Right? That's my thesis, and I'm sticking to it for now until I get some more uh, evidence. Right? Uh, the Scripture teaches us that we should what? Owe nobody anything. That's a relatively straight, you know, the Bible's quite straightforward on some things. You know, there is things like the dragon and the bowls and the, the seals and the plagues and, you know, a third of the world's water swallowed up and all that. So that's not particularly clear. But this one is particularly clear. Owe nobody anything. So what, what Jesus teaches about debt, don't owe people anything except the obligation to love. And the, the challenge is that our consumer debt prevents us actually from being able to love people because all of our energy and effort goes to covering our expenses rather than being a blessing to others. Amen. So today I'm talking about living powerfully. So we talked about mastering money. If we can master money and we can escape debt, I believe we can live powerfully. Uh, and and, and think, the way we think about money is one of the things that determines whether we live powerfully or not. Is that all right? So grab your Bible, and I want to read. This is a powerful passage of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, this is one of my favorite bits of the Old Testament. Um, it's awesome, I reckon. And I can remember hearing sermons on it when I was a kid. It was one of my uncle's favorite. My uncle was the pastor, and it was one of his favorite scriptures. Um, and I can't remember any of his points, but I can remember him reading it. Okay, it says this. Are you ready? It's going to go on the screen as well. Who's got the old school Bible? Who's, ah, Tim's old school, going old school. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Jono is refusing to get an old school Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Jono is able to tie up his shoelaces now. Though, so. Says this, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, this is Moses is talking the words of God, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. Your offspring and your herds and your flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and your breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go, what about this one? Wherever you go and whatever you do, you'll be blessed. 
That's a good one to remember in the morning, isn't it? Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 6. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you'll be blessed. Ever got a difficult career decision? Should I shift there for that job? Should I do this job? Should I do that job? Do you know what? Wherever you go, whatever you do, you'll be blessed. If you're obeying God, if you're following His voice. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you'll be blessed, right? The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. Isn't that cool? Your enemies attack you, the Lord conquers them. Right? They were perfectly happy until they attacked you. Once they attacked you, then they were conquered, right? The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction. That's the bad news. They will attack you from one direction, but they will flee from you or scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee, isn't this cool? God will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He has given you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in His ways, the Lord will establish you as His holy people, as He swore that He would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord, and they will stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land He swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. How many people know that if you have many children, you also need numerous livestock and abundant crops? The Lord will send rain at the proper time for His rich treasury in the heavens, and He will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands that the Lord your God, that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will always be on top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow any other gods and worship them. This scripture is a promise that was given to a collective. So it's not an individualization. An individualization of this becomes selfishness. This is given to a collective, right? It's given to the people of God. Now, the people of God at the time this was written was defined and limited to the children of Abraham, the children of Israel, directly directed to Moses. Through the history of Israel, we see the emergence of the promises of the Christ, the anointed one who comes through the tribe of Judah. Ultimately, there's only one tribe or one and a half tribes left, the Jews, which now call sort of Israelites, Jews and Judaism, emerged out of this one tribe of Israel. The other 11 sort of scattered and there's a bit of a dispersal. And then Jesus is born, and, and conveniently, right on the year zero. It's amazing. Uh, and he is born then, and he, he ushers in the kingdom of God. And the main thing he does from our point of view is that he expands the definition of who are the people of God. The people now are the people of God are those who trust in and put faith in Jesus for salvation, now become the true sons of Abraham, true sons of Abraham, who is the father of our faith. That's a, a relatively brief synopsis of the whole story of the Bible, okay? Which means that when we read the Bible backwards from Christ, we can read Deuteronomy 28 and we can say, because we identify with Christ as our Savior, because of our sins being forgiven, because of, of the righteous requirements of the law that this is based on having been fulfilled in Christ and have been reckoned to us in salvation, we can read this as promises to us as a collective, that people who are part of church, part of the kingdom of God, are people who live powerfully because we're blessed. We lend to many, borrow from none, because we are blessed. We are blessed. Now, we're blessed so that means our crops grow, our fields, our fields are abundant. We're blessed in the town. We're blessed in the country. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we are blessed. Now, that's powerful, right? The reality is the nature of blessing in Scripture 
The nature of blessing isn't that God gives you his blessing. The nature of Scripture is that because of our relationship with Jesus that we've been brought near to the Father, we are blessed by his presence. So because God is with us, we are prosperous. So there's no transactional connections with God. We make it transactional because transactional relationships are how we grew up. We do the right thing, we get rewarded with a lolly. That's a transactional relationship. We do the wrong thing, we get punished with not a lolly. All right? That's transactional. You go to work, you do your job, you get your pay. That's transactional, right? But in a relational dynamic, so think family business versus go to work. In a family business, everyone's blessed because they're connected to the family. Right, think mafia when I say family business, right? You don't do you don't clock in and clock out, you do your hours, you, you take your responsibilities as part of the family, you kill the people who need to be killed, you do what needs to be done, right? And then you're blessed because of your connection to the family. And that's exactly the same here. Because of our relationship with God, all of these other things just flow out of that covenant relationship that we experience in Jesus. So often we think of it like this: God bless me, and then we think that God somehow sends a trend like God puts blessing into our bank, our blessing account. No, he doesn't. The only thing he can give you is his presence. God can't, God can't send healing from heaven to you, but he has healing with him wherever he goes. He can't, he can't send financial blessing to you from heaven. That's a wrong mentality because it creates a distance between us and God. But he, ha- he is blessing. He is provision. He is power. His presence with us changes everything about our circumstance and situation as long as he's with us. Write this down in notes if you're taking notes. God's plan is to bless us. His plan is to bless us, not in, not in, not in just a tiny way here and there, but in a, in a complete and in a full way. God wants to bless every aspect of our life. God wants to bless every situation that we're in. He wants to bless every circumstance. He wants, he wants to bless every season of our journey, and He does that by being present in it. Amen? That's what He wants to do. How many people know it doesn't always feel like God's blessing you? Do you always feel blessed? I don't always feel blessed. Sometimes I feel like the person down the road is more blessed than me. The person down the road has more money than me. So because they have more money than me, I put that through my transactional mentality, and I say, God has sent them more money than he has sent me. So they are more blessed than I am. But the reality is that blessing is found in the presence of God, and the presence of God is either with you or not with you. Right? However much money you've got, however much money you've got, it's got nothing to do with how blessed you are. How blessed you are is are you connected with God the Father through the, through the sacrifice of Christ? If you are connected and He's present with you, you can't get any more blessed. You can get more money and you can get more kids and you could get more fields and livestock if that's what you're into. Right? But you can't get more blessed because as long as he's with you in your world, you are blessed. And you've got to trust God that whatever he delivers to you in terms of visibility around that blessing, it's not as big or not as important as his presence, his actual presence with you. Until you come to the point where his, his gifts to you are not as important as his presence with you, you don't have a real or mature relationship with God. So it's okay for Lucia at four years old and five years old, when I come back from a trip, I've been away for a week, and, she, and the first thing she says is, where's my present? That's okay. Listen, that's okay when you're five. 
right? But already Madeline doesn't do that. Sometimes she might think it, but she doesn't say it, right? And Chrissy doesn't do that at all because Chrissy's just overwhelmed and so grateful and filled with joy that I'm present again, right? Because now there's another, hand, another pair of hands. No, but because I'm present, right? If it's, about, if it's about what God can do for you and it's not about God, it's not mature yet. And as you continue to follow God, you'll feel that shift where it starts to not matter so much how much money's in the bank account, but His presence with you can make whatever money's in the bank account look like enough because you realize that you're blessed, okay? Okay, we've got, we've got half an hour and I've got like, I'm going to charge. Is that all right? Are you ready? Okay, we're going to live powerfully. And the, the way we live powerfully, we master money, which is about our thinking, and then we escape debt. And I want to talk practically a little bit here. Um, some stuff I was going to do last time I talked but didn't fit it in. How do you get out of debt? So practically, how do you get out of debt? Now, the reality is um, calculating compound interest, that's complex maths. And the complex math says that if you're in debt and you, you're paying a, a good amount of interest, if you're in a bad debt, so away from the banks or even a bad bank loan or things like credit card debt or loan, loan company debt, those are big, big interest rates and they're much, they're much bigger than you think over time, right? And the way you get a sense of that is you use those calculators on sorted, calculating how long it's going to pay your debt, how long it's going to take you to pay your debt back. It's because it's quite hard to get your head around it because it's, a, it's an amount of interest divided by the number of days in the year and calculated daily. It can be confusing, right? Put it in the sorted calculator and you just go like this. <gasps> right? You need to do that to yourself on a monthly basis. When you're looking at your statement, put the calculations in and give yourself a little bit of... <gasps> Wow, figure out how old you'll be when the house mortgage is paid off, right? Then find some people that age and then go, <gasps> right? That's what it looks like. You need to do that to yourself because you need to get an understanding of what you're actually committed to when you took that loan or perhaps even before you get that loan. Now, I'm going to speak at the circumstance of somebody in quite a lot of debt, right? Maybe, maybe that's not you, but I want to speak this to you for there's two reasons for it. Maybe you'll find yourself in a difficult situation financially in the future, and this will be helpful. Maybe you're in that situation, and then you can, you can really appropriate from today. You can appropriate exactly what I'm saying. You can put it into practice right now, right? Maybe you're here and you're young. I know it's Peel turned 19 this week. And I've, I'll say this again, but I said this in the foyer. I reckon you're an awesome 19-year-old Peel. I can't believe it. If I was half as focused as you at 19, imagine. It'd be awesome. I just reckon you're awesome. And I said it in the foyer and I said it again. You should be proud of yourself. You should be proud of the, the right decision that you've made and the position that you've put your life in at 19. And God's got so much more for you. I just need to keep moving forward. Amen? Amen. Okay, so maybe you're young. You can put things in practice now to avoid stuff and to also, the end of it is to get real powerful, right? So that we can actually do more for God. We can do more for extending the kingdom. Good? Okay, so let's say, let's say our imaginary person, we'll call him Jordan. Let's say Jordan's got three credit cards, three different credit cards, all of them quite high, but they're different values. Let's say he's also got a car loan, uh, which is a pretty poor debt because it was just one done through Q-card at the car yard. And let's say he has uh, like a, uh, so he's got a warehouse card and a MasterCard and he's got another credit card. Uh, he's got a car loan. Uh, and let's, let's say that's probably enough debts, right? Maybe, maybe he's got a high purchase at Harvey Norman as well, right? A big TV. That could happen. Uh, if you go in there unprepared, you could end up with a TV. Now, that, that's not a particularly unusual level of debt. 
to have maybe that much debt and maybe a, a mortgage that you're paying off as well. A, a lot of people in New Zealand would be carrying perhaps even more complex sort of a debt scenario than that. One, one uh, school of thought would say you should go to the bank, get a consolidation loan for all those silly debts, put them into a more understandable debt and work it through from there. I wouldn't recommend you do that because your bad financial management got you there and you don't really have the financial skills to decide when to consolidate, what to consolidate, how to swap rates, move things around. You're not a genius if you've got that sort of debt, right? You're not. You're not a financial genius. You might have done economics at school, but you're not, because that's not clever. You've got yourself in a not clever place. Maybe just look yourself in the mirror and go, okay, you're not a genius. Let's keep it simple, right? So the simple way to get out of debt is to start a debt snowball. Everyone say debt snowball. Okay, I just need some volunteers. Duncan, because I always get you, Duncan. Uh, let's get Duncan. Uh, let's get Sarah. Come on, Sarah. You'd be a good volunteer for this. Okay, Duncan can be the credit card. Sarah, you can be the, the higher purchase car. Uh, yeah, well, Vakash. Uh, you can be what, one of the other ones. Uh, and uh, let's get Linda Downs. You can be up here as well. Uh, Linda, you can hurry up. Linda, you can be the Harvey Norman. Linda works at Harvey Norman. She signed up the flat screen TV, right? She actually works only near Harvey Norman. So, okay, so, okay, so let's get these in order. Okay, so you're you're a fifteen thousand dollar credit card debt now. Uh, you are a five thousand dollar credit card debt. You are no, you're a five thousand dollar car loan. Uh, you are a, a three thousand dollar warehouse card, and you are the Harvey Norman TV for like about a thousand dollars, right? No, I changed it. You're not the TV anymore. Okay, you swap. You go down there. You're the credit, the big credit card. So we've got a big credit card. We've got a card. Come back down here. The TV down here. Okay. Oh, we've almost got this right. Okay, swap over with Cash and Sarah. Sarah's slightly taller. Okay, now you're the you're the big credit card because you you are the biggest person on this lineup. I don't know how this happened, right? This is your chance to be the big guy, all right? So big credit card, uh, pretty big car loan, small credit card, uh, Harvey Norman TV, $1,000, right? Okay, so a debt snowball works like this. Each one of these you have to pay a minimum amount on every month, right? So it might be $500 a month down there, then $300, then this might be $200, and this might be, well, it's interest-free anyway, whatever, right? Okay, now, so this one's interest-free, so let's imagine the interest-free time has just run out and you realize, oh, I've got to have to start paying it. Now, how many people know it's not interest-free anymore, now it's bad, right? Because they, they actually make it work out at about 25% interest, the way they work it, right? Because you've got fees as well at the front end that you already paid, you didn't know about. It, it's, it's a bad loan, they make it look good. If they're making it look good, how many people know it's bad, Right? No one's out there selling, no one's out there making carrots look healthy, right? Hey, they're really healthy, right? But they're trying to make Coca-Cola look healthy. Why? Because it's not. Okay? So this is how it works. This is the worst, this is the sort of the worst loan, and it's the smallest, right? But there's a minimum payment that you make on each one. Okay? So these debts are in the background, and they're chewing up a lot of your income, and they're probably using up all of your actual disposable income. That's why they sort of grow a little bit, even though you're trying to pay them down. Because you, 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 this one's sort of in default, so you use this one. And, and because they were both bad, that's why you bought on interest-free in the first place, right? And that's why you didn't have money saved for your car when your car broke down, okay? So you've got a problem here that's more, that goes beyond these four characters. Behind them is a scenario you need to fix. The scenario at the back that you need to fix is this one. You earn this much money and you spend that much money. Now, it doesn't matter how much more you spend than you earn. So crazy people like me might spend $100 a week or $200 a week more than I earn, right? Because I'm crazy, 
right? <laughs> if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it crazy, right? Uh, maybe you're slightly more sensible and you only spend a little bit more than you earn. But as, as long as you're spending a dollar a week more than you earn, you're going to end up with these guys chasing you, right? So job number one, write it down. Job number one, spend less than you earn. Spend less than you earn. If you can't spend less than you earn, you have to earn more. If you can't earn more, you have to spend less than you earn. If you can't spend less than you earn, you have to earn more, right? So you've got to go around and around this. I can't earn any more. I've got to spend less. I can't spend any less. This is how it works. I can't spend any less without living in a different suburb. I can't earn any more without going to university and retraining. Come on, you're going to have to earn more and spend less, probably in this whole dynamic through your life, right? Okay, you've got to. Now, how do you do it? It doesn't matter how. The only way you do it is you, 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 you sit down, you look at your spending on a daily basis, and you just, you just have to spend less than you earn. Okay, imagine you live in a country where there's no social welfare. If you don't spend less than you earn, you ultimately have nowhere to live, no medical help. You're ultimately in a very dangerous place. If you can imagine that, it doesn't happen in New Zealand all that time, but it, gets, it can get real tough unless you spend less than you earn, right? You know what's real tough? It doesn't matter how much. You might, never, you might never be completely destitute, but as long as these people are chasing you and nagging you, you're creating an emotional pressure in your life that you don't need, Okay. Number one, spend less than you earn, okay? So once you're paying the minimums on all these fellas, right, you're keeping them off your back every month, and then you're paying for your food, your groceries, and you're getting to and from work, you're paying for your power, your rates, insurance, all that sort of stuff, right? Probably after that, you've got no money left if you look at your budget because you've got these bad debts. You probably, unless you're, you're earning a lot, you probably have no spare money once you've covered all your expenses, right? Otherwise, you... You wouldn't have those credit cards, right? You're probably, you're probably right at zero, right? Once you've got your budget locked in, you're right at zero, which means you've got no money to go out. You've got, you've got no money for new clothes. Uh, you've got no money for fast food, right? That's where, you, that's where you'll be. I guarantee it. If you've got bad debts, that's what your life will look like once you do the budget, right? It sucks. So you'll need some friends when you do the budget to say, come on, you can do it. Because once you do that budget, you'll think, what's the point anyway? You'll do the budget exercise and you'll think, I'll just get another credit card. I'll find some tricky way. There's no tricky way to solve this problem. There's only hard-headed ways to solve the problem, right? You've just got to kick its butt, right? So once you've got the budget lined up at zero, you've got these, you're paying the minimums, right? You can hold that position, but that's not good enough. You're going to have to move forward, right? So you've you've got a budget. You're spending less than you earn. Number three, you've got to get some extra. You need to find, you're paying the minimums, you need to find $200, $300 a month more. You've got to get it from somewhere. Where are you going to get it? You've got to get it from somewhere. Where am I going to get it, John? I don't care. You've got to get it from somewhere. I don't care. There's this thing, Trade Me, put, list everything you own. List everything on Trade Me. Someone will want some of your crap, Right? Sell the TV. It's the best thing you got, right? You can, you're like, list everything you've got. If you can get the bus to work, sell your car. You've got to find $200 a month more or $300 or $100. You've got to find something more. Otherwise, you can never break this. 
You've got to budget it. You've got to lock it down. You've got to bring your expenses down. And then you've got to find something more. You could sell something on Trade Me every week. Now, now, Chrissy runs a really successful small business now because we needed some more. Where are we going to get it from? We'd sold, you know, three children we sold. They're happy wherever they are. No, don't sell your children. It's against the law. Now, it's not just against the law. It's, it's no, God will strike you down, right? Promise it. I promise it. If, now, the pressure of, I've got no money, but I need to get more. You, you can think, oh, this sucks. Or you can think, no, come, I'm moving out. This is the wilderness. I'm not going to stay here in debt. I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to walk out of the wilderness into the promised land. The promised land, I've got to get some more, right? Do more hours. Work overtime, work the weekends, get some board money off your kids. <laughs> Maybe, just an idea. I don't know where the idea came from. I might have been, I don't know whether who I was looking at. Come on. Come on, if your kids have got a paper on, get some money off them. Come on, they're living in your house. Right? Why? Because you can teach them never to be in the position that you're in. Take, teach them to take it. Come on, there's money out there. You've got to get it. Pray for it. Pray for creative ideas. Work for it. Work hard for it. Sell stuff that you own. Whatever it takes. Because once you've got $200 a month more than you're currently getting, now you can go to the shops and buy some new clothes. No. Now you can attack Mrs. Harvey Norman. Okay, so you're paying. Here's how it works. You're paying a minimum each month on all these fellas. So forget about the big one. At the end, he's the last one you're going to get. Forget about this one. Forget about this. You start with the smallest one or the worst or the worst interest one, right? Smallest one. Why? Because you, once you beat one, you'll feel good. And it's a, you're not going to feel good for a long time, right? So any good feeling, you've got to go for. Come on. Hey, we're not here to feel good. We're here to win. The All Blacks don't, you don't feel good in a rugby match ever until the end of the game if you won. Up until then, you only feel pain. That's what sport is, and we love it, right? What about doing a PhD? You feel good when? At the end. Do you feel good at all in the nine years leading up to it? No, you don't feel good, right? Come on, destroying this debt, you will not feel good apart from the little moments when you win. So you take your $200 a month, right, and you add it with the minimum payment on your $1,000 TV, right? And in a few months, Mrs. Harvey Norman, you can go and take a seat. Now, now the snowball has begun because you've got your 200 bucks a month more plus you've got your $100 a month minimum that you had to pay for Mrs. Harvey Norman. So now you've got $300 a month extra so you can race out and buy some new clothes. You can shout all the boys at the bakery. No, you can't. You're not allowed to do that. If I see you doing it, I'll tell you off, right? You've got $300 a month now instead of $200 a month to attack now your slightly bigger loan. Now, this guy's a $200 a month minimum, right? You've got your $300, now you're going $500 a month after this person, and it's a few months or it's six months or it's seven months. It's a while, right? And then Duncan can go and sit down. He's our small credit card. Duncan was a $200 a month minimum, and he, we, were get, we were throwing $500 on a month on him, so that you, means you've now got $700 a month extra. Right? So you've got $700 a month now to throw on top of your $300 a month that you're already paying for your car. That's $1,000 a month. I'm keeping the numbers simple for me, not for you, right? $1,000 a month that you can pay for your car. Now, we said it was a five grand, so within five months, the car can go and sit down. 
It's actually six or seven months because of the interest as well, but we'll say seven months later, the car goes and sits down. The car was $500 a month, wasn't it? $300 a month. The car was $300 a month, and we had another, we had $1,000, right? So we had $1,000 a month, and this is your $300 credit card. $300 a month, you're paying the minimum on this credit card. Now you can put $1,300 a month. Now, how many of you are probably starting to feel good now? $1,300 a month, you're going to see the total come down on that big credit card for the first time in a while. You're going to be driving around your debt-free car, right? You've still got no spare money. You still haven't bought any new clothes. When I say no new clothes, I mean you haven't bought any new clothes. Do you know what I found? If you have got no money for new clothes, you can borrow money to get new clothes or you can pray for clothes. Do you know what? God will give you clothes. God will give you food. It's a lot easier to believe God for food and clothes than it is to believe God for your minimum payment on your high interest credit card. Because it's just a hard prayer to pray. God, I bought all this crap that I don't need. Now I've got a high interest credit card. Could you bless me out of it? It's really hard to pray that with conviction. But when you look at your starving children and you say, Jesus, we need some food, it tends to turn up in shopping bags from someone in church. That's been my personal experience. And you know, there's nothing better than unpacking shopping bags of groceries with things like the, the cereal that the kids don't normally get, soft bread that wasn't a dollar a loaf, right? Uh, unloading that into the country and telling the kids when they say, where did the food come from? When you say God gave it to us, it's a pretty cool moment, right? So believe God for food, believe God for clothing. Why? Because Jesus said to believe him for those specific things. Clothing and food. He said, but trust me for that. And then you attack this last year at $1,300 a month. And it's less time than you could imagine. It's less time than you realize. And this debt of maybe 20 grand is gone. Maybe it's another year later. Depending on where you're at, maybe it's a two-year journey I'm talking about to build this debt snowball. But it will eventually happen and this person is gone. Okay? Grab a seat. Now, thank you, Wakash. Listen. Here's how it works, though. You build that debt snowball. Across those two years, you're being faithful with your money. God's going to reward you. Across those two years, I can, I can I hand on heart guarantee you, you will get a pay rise in your job. You will be promoted. Why? Because God gives you more money. That's, the Bible says it. The Bible says God gives you more money when you're faithful with the money you have. You will get promoted. More money will come to you. I was talking to Pastor Graham this week. They're tight. They're praying. They're believing. $3,000 pay, pay rise the day after we talked about it. Why? Why are they getting promoted? Because they're working their details. They're looking after the things well, right? No, that's how it works, right? You will get promoted. You, you will end the debt snowball. Now, the, the actual numbers that were car, when, when cash was gone, the actual numbers I had was I've got $1,300 a month to go out and buy new clothes with. No. Once you build the debt snowball, then you save. Because you've got $1,300 a month now looking for a home. You could lift your lifestyle, buy those things you've been coveting powerfully for the last two years where you're focused on it, or you actually, through those two years, maybe even some of those holds that consumerism has on your heart, maybe they've even been broken, so now you're in a really powerful position. So you're going to save, everyone say save. Then the point number four is save again. Everyone say save again. Uh, point number five is save again, again. 
Say it with me. Save again, again. Okay, so number one, savings. Number one, number one you need to save. You've got the spare money, right? Um, your expenses have been trying to sneak up all the time. Your expenses are always trying to sneak up. You have to keep shooting them. Shoot them down, right? Keep your expenses down and then save until you have a $2,000 emergency account. I think it's about $2,000 you need for emergencies. When your transmission in your car blows up, it's going to cost you two grand. Unless you drive a Volvo, then it's going to cost you nine grand. So don't drive a Volvo, right? Okay? So a transmission blows up, it's going to cost you two grand. Your fridge blows up, unless you can talk Jude into fixing it, it's going to cost you $1,000 for a new fridge, right? It's going to cost them $1,000 if you fix it as well, eh, Jude? Uh, <laughs> he's worth at least that much. Uh, now, um, if there's a storm and your house is damaged, right? If, if there's a funeral you have to attend internationally or, you know, someone else's desperate need and someone else's emergency, you can use your emergency for someone else's emergency as well. But your first 1300 for the first couple of months, that just goes into a savings account, so you've got a couple of grand. Lock it away, put it in a term deposit, put it somewhere where you can still access it by breaking it, but where it's going to earn a bit of interest. You can keep putting money into that emergency one if you want, or you can just leave it there. $2,000 for emergencies, it sits there. Right? If you leave it with the interest ticking on, as emergencies get more and more expensive, your, your emergency account can grow as well. Obviously, whenever you spend it, you've got to next to your savings priorities to build it back up. Right? If you don't have that, you're going to go back to Wakash. He'll just appear back on the scene. Whenever there's an emergency, your $2,000 goes on the credit card and you're starting the problem you had before, right? So you, that $2,000 is sort of your own credit card, but it's earning you interest instead of costing you interest, right? Cool. So that's save. Uh, save again. So once you've got your $2,000 emergency, then you need to start saving forever. So now you start your forever savings. And in New Zealand, the best way to do that is through KiwiSaver. And the best target you can give yourself is if you can... I'm going to reiterate something. I'm going to go back to a point I forgot to mention. You need to save, in your saving forever, you want to lock away about 10%. The biggest thing you can do in KiwiSaver is about 8%. If you do that, 8% in KiwiSaver, put 2% somewhere else, or lift your KiwiSaver to 10%. Or you might do 5% KiwiSaver, 5% somewhere else, so you've got a bit more flexibility with it to do things like whatever, right? But you need to sort of save, not, so you've got $2,000 for emergencies, now you're saving for your future, right? About 10% of your income. If you do it when you're 19 Build the habit now. You can do it now. If you try and do it when you're 40, it's quite hard, right? But if you do it now, you're saving for your future, right? So about 10%. Now, obviously, I didn't talk about tithing. None of this works unless you're tithing 10% in the first place. It doesn't really work because God's blessings aren't on your money. Malachi chapter 3 simply says, you put money with, in pockets with holes in it because you're stealing from God. You steal from God, he'll take it back off you, right? As simple as that. He, he asks for the 10%. You give him the 10%. If you don't give him the 10%, he says, not me, he says, you're stealing from him, right? Uh, you might be smart, you might steal from the mongrel mob, they'll come find you, right? God's actually bigger than them, he'll come find you, okay? So we save, which is our emergency, save again, it's our 10%, stashing it away, right? If you do 10% of your income forever from now, when you retire, you'll be able to look after yourself and be a blessing to your neighbours, right? Pretty, that's the simple maths on it. Okay, so then we've got to save again, again. Everyone say save again, again. Okay, so now we're saving for investments. Okay, so now we're saving for investments, right? Um, it's not, I, forget about investments. Save again, again is this. You've got your emergency fund. Smart people tell me this. I've never been able to do this, but smart people tell me this. 
if you can stash away in another account about three months of expenses. Okay, so the Smith family, that's about $1 million, right? But if you can have three months of expenses in another account, so you've got emergencies for the car breakdown, you've got three months of expenses for when you get made redundant, uh, for when you get really sick, uh, whatever, you can have that saved as well, right? Then you're in a strong, strong position where you'll never find yourself having to go back to those bad debts again. Is that all right? Okay, how many people get that? Nod your head if you get that, okay? Now, wherever you're at, you might be, you might be at the front end of that debt snowball. You might be already attacking some debts, right? But the, 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 the numbers that I've given you will help you build a momentum through paying off that debt. Now, the thing about if you're in a position where you've got all those, maybe you've got three or four debts that you don't like, you can sort of get really downhearted, right? You can feel a lot of pressure, right? But the reality is they're really good school teachers because they're going to teach you how to think about money in a powerful way. They're going to teach you how to use money in a powerful way. They're going to teach you how to say no to fast food. They're going to teach you how to say no to new clothes. They're going to teach you how to say no to the movies. They're going to teach you how to make your own lunch for work. Now, maybe your mom didn't teach you how to make your own lunch, but your credit cards will, right? They can do that as long as you allow them to teach you. Oh, these big, nasty credit cards, they're killing me. No, they're teaching you discipline. No discipline seems good when it's happening, right? But when you get to the end of it and you've got them down, you're in a position where you've got money to direct and you are now in charge of the money rather than the money being in charge of you. Is that all right? In fact, I think if you're here with debts, you might be in a stronger position than some people without because you've got, a, you've got a reason to learn. Other people might just tick along, but you've got to learn some stuff and be powerful in what you're doing. Cool? Once you've saved and saved and saved again, then you can make investments. And in New Zealand, the most common long-term investment people make is in their family home. And the reason why in New Zealand that's a very smart thing to do is because there isn't a, ta- there isn't a capital gains tax in New Zealand. So other countries there are, which means that investments in things like stocks are actually a bit more even with property. But in New Zealand, property is the investment that brings the biggest long-term return or the most stable long-term return because of the lack of capital gain tax. When the property market does collapse, we all collapse together, right? Same with the stock market, right? But that, 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 you've got to live somewhere as well. So it's quite a smart investment, but you have to get it right. You buy a house that's too expensive or you buy a house in the wrong area or you get tricked by a bad real estate agent, then it's not a great investment. But you can't control that because investment is to take risk with money, right? So you take risk with the money, you buy a house to live in, you pay the mortgage off across 20 years or the quickest you can, the quicker you can, the better, uh, right? Pay it off across, then that's a good investment for your, for your retirement and for your future. You can leverage it in the future to help your kids buy their own homes, things like that as well. That's investing. After, you've, after buying your family home, there's other investments you can do. But before you do that, you need to, you need to learn more than I can teach you in a sermon. Right? I can give you some advice that I've done, but, I, but you, I wouldn't be the person you'd learn from about investing beyond your family home. right? Because that's, that's the level of my actual financial experience. Right is in is in property. Other people I know buy, buy, buy uh, stocks and shares, uh, invest in other places like that, and that's a smart thing to do as well. Cool. After you learn how to invest, there's a whole another world that I think is important. I just want to talk about just before we finish the next four minutes. Uh, Wakashi can come and play. I actually don't. Yeah, do. No, I don't. Yeah, do. No, I don't. Yeah, do. 
Now we've got three minutes. Okay. I, I think that it's not enough for us to just get rid of our debts, be real responsible savers, and learn to invest. It doesn't quite sound like the kingdom to me. And I've added another point, which in my notes is point H. I've been saying numbers all along, but reading letters, hard to do. It's hard to do. Um, we, we've got to invest powerfully. See, the parable that we started this series was, was when Jesus says of a guy who gets fired. Remember, he gets fired from his, by his boss because he's incompetent. He gets fired. And then he goes crazy, and he writes down all the debts. All his boss's debtors, he writes down the debts so that he's got a whole lot of friends. So all the boss's previous debtors are now his mates. right? The, the whole point of the parable is that once this guy was fired, all the rules changed. And see, we ate the blue pill. We got unplugged from the matrix, right? We're not here just to pay off our weatherboard house and keep the white picket fence painted. That's not what we're living for, right? That's not a big enough dream to keep anybody focused, right? You're buying yourself a midlife crisis if that's your dream, right? We've got to live more powerfully. We've got to invest more powerfully than that. So all of what I've said, getting out of debt, that's powerful. Saving, that's powerful. But it's not about securing ourselves because our security is in heaven. We're about positioning ourselves to be effective financially, effective with our gifts and calls. See, if you've got money behind you, God can call you. So if you've got no money behind you, God could call you to reach into Parirua. If you've got money behind you, God could call you to reach Zurich. Do you get the difference? Well, I've got three months of expenses saved. Maybe you've got three months of expenses saved. That means God could call you to give all three months of expenses in the next miracle offering. And you can say, God, is this where you want me to invest what I've got saved? And God can say yes, right? And you can give it. If you don't have it saved, can you give it? No. Now, either way, it's because God is leading and directing you because God leads and directs us. It's not because you feel like it's a good idea. It's because God's speaking to you about it. But if you don't have the money behind you, you can't make the investment even if God's calling you to step up and do something significant with money. Uh, my parents are nearly retirement age. So dad's actually 67. 66, 66 this year. Dad's 66 this year uh, and mum is slightly younger. Um, they're nearing retirement age. They're not likely to retire because they're both sort of uh, busy and they enjoy what they do. Um, but um, they're actually in a position, they're 67 and 60-something. 60 not supposed to tell you how old my mum is, so they, um, they're in a position now where, where, where they could actually retire now. They could stop taking salary now anyway. They, they, they will keep working for, forever. They'll keep doing what they do because they're called. But they could stop taking salaries now uh, and they would actually be able to keep going for a long time, right? And once you're 67, you don't need to be able to keep going for another 50 years. If you can, that's all good, but you don't probably need that much money saved, just, just in case you don't know how it works. At some point, you'll die. You don't need to pay the rent after that. Other people take care of the details. You move on into the next thing God's called you to, right? It's a whole new season. Right? So they're in that sort of a position now, right? They've got property in, investments, which means that they can do that, right? 
They've done none of what I've told you about saving. Never have. Dad has a giant TV. Giant. He's buying a bigger house because his TV is too big for the living room. Right? Because that's what he likes. Right? Now, in 1989, mum and dad would have been, oh, I was 13, so mum would have been 30 something. Early 30s. Mum was in her early 30s. Dad was mid 30s. They had paid off their mortgage. So they got their mortgage in their late 20s and their early 30s, mid 30s, they had paid it off. Right? From their mid 20s, across about, across about, across about 10 years, they went from buying their first home in Australia when we lived there to paying off, I think, the fourth house that they owned. Paid it off. Four bedrooms, three living rooms, swimming pool, Raumati Beach. Right? Paid off the mortgage, right? Why? Because God had blessed them. Right? Because my dad was selling computers and computer software and he did it by word of knowledge. So then, then God spoke to them and, and then for the next 10 years, they didn't take a salary. They just worked in missions and Christian organizations in a few different places. They, they traveled up and down the country and around the world, preaching, sharing, teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. They did that for the next 10 years. For the next 10 years, we ate a whole house. We spent all of that equity on petrol, vehicles, transport, travel, lots and lots and lots on food power, all of that, we spend it all, right? And mum and dad earned bits and pieces working for Christian schools and uh, working in a Bible college and the, uh, they received some honorariums. But basically across 10 years, they had four children. We were all, I was 13, my sister's 15, the uh, next two, uh, whatever and whatever. Right through our teenage years, dad didn't earn much money, didn't earn hardly anything, didn't work. But we always had money, we always went on holidays, right, because they were spending up their equity, spending it up like crazy for 10 years. How many know that that's pretty awesome in 10 years to consume a four-bedroom house, three living rooms and a swimming pool in Ramadi Beach, right? In 1998, mum and dad shifted to Auckland because that's where their ministry connections were going. That's what God was calling them to do. They shifted to Auckland in 1998. Dad got a word from God, got a word from God. And this is the word from God. A good man leaves an inheritance to his grand, to his children's children. So dad said, I'm going to uh, invest in property. I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to invest in property and God, I'm going to position myself so that all of my children own their own home. I'm going to help them into all of, their, all of them into their first home so that my grandchildren grow up in a home where the house is owned and then they can help their grandchildren out. So that's the word of God he had. A God, good man leaves inheritance for his children's children. In 1998, my dad borrowed $12,000 off his brother to get a deposit together for their first house in Auckland. From 1998 to 2016, they've bought and sold. They've bought bare land. They've broken into sections. They've done property. We've all bought in together, so we all own this one house together. And then we owned this thing together, and we bought this property all together, and we had all these agreements that we all dad made us sign every two years, and they got reviewed, and the lawyer had them, and I don't know what's going on. And, but we, we sent some money, and my sister and brother, my brothers, when they were at university, they were building fences, and dad would pay them. They would get $12 an hour or what $20 an hour if they wanted cash, or they'd get $30 an hour in investment credits. So they kept working, building fences, digging holes, and they took most of the money in investment credits so that when the time came for they wanted to buy their own home, they had $30,000 of investment credits saved up in the property business. So all of us, 
All of us brothers and sisters, all of us own at least one house. At one point, we all own two houses that Dad had helped us into. From 1998 to now, how many know that having a lot of property in Auckland has been quite good? People say to my dad all the time, wow, you're a genius. He said, no, it was a devotion. I was just doing my devotions and I read, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I'm not a genius. I'm just obedient. See, God can bless someone with all that property because he's the same person who just ate a whole house in the pursuit of the call of God in the first place. I think there's something powerful about that sort of investment. There's something powerful about not getting locked into crazy debt or not getting locked into our savings and our term deposits. A lot of people are just as bound by their term deposits as other people are bound by their credit card debt. Neither is freedom, so neither is the plan of God. Amen. I think God's calling us to be free and He's calling us to be powerful and He's calling us to live with kingdom purpose. If you believe it, say amen. Do you know, uh, last point I want to make is this. We can help. We are a church full of helpers. We're perhaps too helpful at times. We can help, but we no, no one's ever going to invade your privacy. So if I ever think, oh, maybe you're under pressure financially, I'm not necessarily going to come in and say, hey, can we help? But if you're under pressure with your money or you want some help with the actual details of how to work that snowball, I'd love to sit down with you. You can talk with Amanda. She's a genius about cutting expenses. Talk to Putty. Cutting expenses. She can teach you how to do it, but she can't give you, she can't actually make you strong enough to do it. You're just gonna have, you're gonna have to be strong. But she can talk you through what they've done. They came here on mission from Auckland. I know how much they've earned since they've been here, because sometimes it was me paying them their terrible salaries. Right? But they own their own home. Three children, they're, they're moving forward into the future. They've got a plan. Why? Not because God, not because they're brilliant, although they are brilliant, but the reason they're prosperous is because the presence of God is with them. God is blessing them. If, if you need some help, we'd love to help you. There's people who can help, uh, help you sort out your finances, sort out your budget, escape debt. There are even people here who can help you with investment planning and all that sort of stuff, or we can put you in touch with great organizations who can do that for you. But it's time to be free and it's time to be powerful. Amen. The last point is this, you owe someone, you know, you owe everyone something. I love the thought we should owe no one anything but, but accept our obligation to love. Uh, and as a church, we really want to be free financially so that we can be a blessing. You know, in terms of our church finances, I want everybody tithing because then we can be a blessing. If everyone's not tithing, the heavens are not open above our, house, above our church. If the heavens aren't open above our church, doesn't matter how good a leader I am. Does it? Does it really matter? If the heavens are open, it doesn't matter how terrible a leader I am. Come on, if God's pouring out His blessing, we can, make, we can be a blessing in our city. We don't have to be brilliant or clever or intelligent. We don't need more red t-shirts and more flags. We, but if God's blessing us, we'll make a difference uh, in our city. We can love some people. Amen. When you close your eyes and bow your heads, I want to talk for one minute about the greatest debt you owe, and that's your debt of sin. You were born into a world of sin with a weight of debt, a weight of sin, a debt of sin, a debt you could never repay. And Jesus himself came, God himself came in human form, Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life and he died a painful death. And the Bible teaches very simply that his righteousness, his goodness is given to us and he takes from us our sinful nature. 
when we identify with Him as Lord and Savior, when we begin following Him. If you're here this morning and you want to make that first step to following Jesus, the first step to freedom, to seeing that weight and debt of sin lifted from your shoulders. We've sung about it earlier. It's a debt we couldn't repay, but in the blood of Jesus Christ, that means because of the sacrifice He made, we can be free. While everyone else has got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if that's you this morning and you're wanting to say, yeah, I need Jesus in my world, I want to be free of my debt, free of my sin. Could I pray with you? Maybe this could be like a first step for you in this journey. A first step where you identify with Jesus and say, yeah, I need Jesus in my world. I'm going to begin today to follow Him. I'm going to see Him work in my world and see the weight of sin lifted from my shoulders. If that's you, while everyone else has got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, why don't you look up, catch my eye, give me a quick wave and say, yeah, that's me. I'm I'm wanting to identify with Jesus. I want to begin following Him today. Today's my first step pursuing Jesus. If that's you, shoot your hand up when I've seen it. You can put it back down and then we're going to pray. Thank you. That's awesome down the front. Is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand up and then we're going to pray. I don't want to close off before people have had a chance to consider. That's awesome. Church, can we stand and pray together? Is that all right? I think it's a good idea. Let's pray. I'll pray a line and then let's all pray it out together uh, and let's believe God. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Today I choose to follow you and I acknowledge you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive my sin and I thank you that the weight of sin is lifted from my shoulders. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Can we give God a shout of praise? If you want, if you want to know more about following Jesus, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to, if you were too scared to put your hand up, I, I can pray with you in the foyer or pray with you after. Um, and then uh, if you did lift your hand, someone wants to be, someone wants to chat with you before the end of the service and just get your details. Make sure we know who you are. Is that cool?